Welcome to another edition of Perkett Pod. We thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking a listen. We've been getting some amazing guests and tonight, no different really, we're happy to roll out this chat with a soon to be Hall of Famer, an NFL Hall of Famer, Steve Hutchinson. So let's crank up those speakers, computer speakers, car speakers, AirPods, whatever. However, let's just go. Perkett Pod, sometimes he's at play. Perk and Pond, find out what he'll say. Perk and Pond, who's coming on today? Perk and Pond. And I got a shout out, Taylor Robert, for that theme song. Uh, he and I co-penned that tune, which brings us to Random Ranks. I love the Perkett Pop theme song. I'm just going to say that. Uh, last year, we had a lot jazzier version, a little more rocky. Uh, this is a lot more bluesy, clearly. And uh, co-produced, by the way, by Michael Bland, who is in New Power Generation, Prince's stable of talent. Unbelievable. Just the, the, the fact that Taylor sang it like he did. Just awesome. Thanks again to him. Taylor Robert. It is more of a jingle. It's not really a full-on song. But here now, my top 11 best theme songs from sports movies, okay? Random ranks, top 11 best theme songs from sports movies. Number 11, Space Jam. Like the actual, welcome to the Space Jam, Quad City DJs, number 11. Number 10, it's like the classic sports movie theme song of all time, Chariots of Fire. I don't even like I don't even know who does it. Vandellis, Vangelis, I don't know. Number nine, we're going varsity blues on this one. Foo Fighters, my hero. I'm not gonna sing these for you because that's just brutal. Cause I I'm just I don't want to butcher these great songs. Number eight, put me in coach. Center field. Uh, but that's the John Fogarty, of course, from Bull Durham. Number seven, this one's a little bit obtuse. But we're going The Stroke by Billy Squire. Remember that rock tune from the early 80s? It was reused in Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell. And to me, I just, that Will Ferrell movie, a lot of them have obviously made me laugh, but that one is just lights out. Number six, we're tapping into the sap. Let's tap the sap. Glory of Love, Karate Kid 2, Peter Cetera, Power Ballad. Boom. Number five, Caddyshack. I'm all right. Kenny Loggins. Okay. I said I wasn't going to sing. Number four, Bill Conti. Gonna fly now from the original Rocky. That's not singing. That's just instrumentals right there. Number three, also from Space Jam, R. Kelly. I believe I can fly. We had gonna fly now. Now I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I'm sorry. Okay. Number two, from Rocky three. Eye of the Tiger, Survivor, an absolute classic. Just That doesn't get you jacked to beat up Mr. T. I don't know what does. And number one, from Karate Kid, the original 1984, you're the best around. You're the best around. Oh my gosh, that just jacks me. Joe Esposito, the singer on that one. And on a really obscure note, if you know like soul music from the 80s, there was a song called Piano in the Dark by Brenda Russell. And he was the other vocal in that. Anyway, Joe Esposito. 
Okay, we're back. If you are the best around, by the way, you end up in the Hall of Fame. Last year, the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony had to be put on hold. Like so many other sporting events, COVID postponed it, but they'll try, try again in Canton, Ohio this year when that large class is inducted into football immortality. Former Viking Steve Hutchinson will be ushered in and put on a gold jacket. The former guard spent some of his best years in purple after coming to Minnesota from the Seahawks. I caught up with him at his home in Tennessee, where we chat about the hall, his amazing skill on the grill, and his uber successful wife also, whose online brand and following is nothing short of massive and amazing. Here now, Steve Hutchinson. First of all, Steve Hutchinson, thank you for joining us on Perkin Pod. <clears throat> Big pleasure on my part. Um, talk to me about when it all started for you, I guess. What, you know, the sport of pro football. Was that, was that the first sport that you really kind of dove in deep on? You mean growing up? As a child. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think like most people, I, I mean, I probably started, I think the first thing I played was t-ball and soccer at, you know, how whatever age that was, five yeah. or whatever. And then – then I got into growing up in South Florida. I think flag football um, was uh, was what my parents put me in first, and and had a ball. Um, I I I loved. I think I've that made me love football because, and I'm a big believer in starting kids out young um, in flag football because flag is just let kids run around, you yeah. know, and at that age everybody wants to play quarterback and everybody wants to play receiver and nobody wants to be an offensive lineman at five years old and, and they don't have to block and nowhere are they really asked too much. So, you know, you kind of just take turns playing quarterback and receiver and running back and a linebacker and pull flags and yeah. you kind of get the sense of the game. And so that's kind of how I fell in love with it. And then, then as I got in the middle school age, you know, kind of transitioned into tackle, um, and I was <clears throat> in South Florida. <clears throat> we don't have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't have, um, or at least at the time, didn't have uh, middle school football organized through the school system. So it was more city, city, you know, rec league, and yeah. and it was by weight. So I was always a bigger kid, <clears throat> and I was on the team with. I was the youngest by like two years. I mean, I was 140 pounds as a sixth grader playing with eighth and ninth graders you know oh, so you're and so, a big dude already yeah I mean I was a bigger kid and I wasn't mentally mature enough to to handle that nor did I it, football for that it, it really wasn't it was fun I it wasn't fun it was it was I was getting you know you find you're the youngest one you don't pick up on things quite as quick you're getting yelled at you're not playing as much as you'd want to it's not like flag where you're like oh it's just you know you're playing whatever position the coach tells you and you're doing that all the time and you're getting your butt kicked by older, stronger kids. And, and then I kind of, and then I didn't play my eighth grade year because I was actually at that point, the, the biggest um, weight class was 140. And I think at that point I was like 155 pounds mm -hmm. in eighth grade. And I was like, I'm not cutting weight to, you know, do this. So it took a year off. In the meantime, throughout middle school, I got into basketball and uh, kind of played baseball all the way through from t-ball on up and got into basketball I think around fifth grade and really loved basketball and still to this day and 
so I played rec league basketball. And then my ninth grade, uh, getting, going into my ninth grade, I kind of taking that year off was, was kind of huge because I kind of, you know, reinvigorated my, my love for football and tried out. And I think I spent one day on, on JV at camp, training camp. And uh, then they moved me up to varsity. And, you know, I played, you know, I played quite a bit as a, as a fr- true freshman or a true freshman, as a freshman in high yeah. school. And then, um, you know, kind of my sophomore year kind of really took off and I kind of, kind of thought maybe I have a chance at going on to college and playing as a sophomore. You know, That's awesome. Sophomore. Back with more from Steve Hutchinson in just a bit when Perkett Pod continues. But first, I want to introduce you folks to a guy that is sitting across from me right now, looking awfully dapper, by the way. <laughs> Michael Bryant, thanks so much for being here and joining us on Perkett Pod. I am glad to be here. Tell us about yourself. I, I know you're obviously the Bryant of Bradshaw and Bryant. Um, tell us about Bradshaw and Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant is a law firm that does plaintiff's personal injury. We represent people who are injured through no fault of their own, and we also do criminal defense. So we have a full-time criminal lawyer. I've done criminal work since I started with John Bradshaw back in 1991. I still do a little bit of criminal, but for the most part, I do plaintiff personal injury and represent lots of people in car accidents. Uh, I do a number of cases involving survivors that have been sexually abused. And then we get involved in a number of different personal injury type cases. So you're a busy guy. I try to be. You mentioned Bradshaw, not Terry Bradshaw from the Pittsburgh Steelers from, <laughs> from the days of yore, right? I mean, this is, no, yeah. uh, not that guy. But, but, what, <laughs> but what about your team? How, how, many, how, many, how many are on your, uh, are on your side there? Well, we have two lawyers in the Minneapolis office, mm-hmm. uh, and then in St. Cloud, we have, uh, there's five of us. So I think total, I have anywhere between seven and nine, depending on how you do the math. And you're a sports fan, too. A uh, very big sports fan. I grew up in Rhode Island, and uh, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, no matter what. And then I moved to Minnesota in 1982 and got infected with, you know, liking the Vikings <laughs> and, and caring about the Twins and and you played sports, too, growing up, right? I played hockey. Yeah. I was a goaltender. Uh, I played some juniors, and I played. Uh, I was going to play college hockey and then found out there was a lot more to life than stopping hockey pucks. And again, where can people reach you, Mike? People can reach us at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. We uh, have a place you can comment there, and there's also a chat that pops up there. Or they can call 800-770-7008. Great chatting with you. Thanks for being a friend of Perkett Pod here, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Perk and Pod. Yeah, yeah. Then you get then you get a college scholarship and and it's at it's at Michigan of all places. I would imagine you had plenty of offers, but uh, but what made you what made you choose the Mason Blue? Uh, you know, I, my dad was originally from the UP. I don't have any really ties other than that, but then. Kind of just like a lot of kids just kind of grew up and they were always on national TV Saturday morning, fell yeah. in love with that helmet. And um, really going into my junior high school, I had the opportunity. My parents said, well, we can afford to send you to one of these, you know, summer camps, you know. And uh, I said, well, see if Michigan's got one. So I went and, you know, they, they liked me. And actually, all, Gary Moeller offered me a scholarship there at camp. Wow. <laughs> So I took a couple other visits, but I just kind of yeah. always, just kind of always had a thing for Michigan, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And was Carr the coach then when you were there as a player? Oh so, yeah. So, so like I said, going into my junior year of high school, Gary Moeller was the head coach. He offered me, um, he got fired uh, 
at some point during that year, my junior year of high school, uh, Coach Carr took over as the interim coach. Yeah. And when I went back to that same camp the next summer, going into my senior year, you know, obviously Lloyd kind of reiterated, hey, we're, we're extending, you know, you know, we want to have you come here. We all got a scholarship for you. And then I kind of verbally committed. And then, um, uh, so yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, I was, I was, my class was Lloyd's first recruiting class as permanent or full-time head coach. Right on, right on. And then, and then who was the quarterback at that time, Steve, when you're, when you're at Michigan? So my, so my, my, um, freshman year, uh, well, the, my first year, 90, first year playing, Greasy was, Brian had kind of was in, you know, my, my true freshman year when I was redshirted, Brian kind of went back and forth as the starter. And then towards the end of the year, he won that um, job outright. And then 97, Brian was a starter and that, you know, we won the national championship that year. Yeah. Um, so Brian was the quarterback, really my first two years, uh, my, the year I didn't play as a red shirt and then the year we won the national championship. And then, 98, 99 was that whole uh, Tom Brady, uh, Drew Henson kind of back and forth switching thing. But by, I want to say by midway of the season, 99, I think Tom kind of won that. Tom won that job outright and then finished uh, his senior season as, as the starter for the second half of that season, if not more. And then, and then my senior year, we had Henson for the most part. Yeah. Who's the quarterback. What so. an athlete he was too. Jeez. Everybody talks about Brady. Drew Henson was, a, was a ridiculous yeah, athlete. Was, yeah. I mean, not to mention he was a first round draft pick by the Yankees. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so, but what did back then, could you kind of see Brady's brilliance in the making or was yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, you know, Tom was never the poster child for, for like how you draw up a body, you know, like, you know, I mean, you, all you gotta do is look at his, his combine photo, you know, every year they show it. And, um, but Tom was always, Tom always had that edge, whatever that, you know, everybody talks about that it factor. He yeah. had, that. it was unquestioned, like without a doubt. Like I tell the same story all the time. The one time I lost to Ohio state was Tom's, uh, I guess it would have been his, it would have been, I guess it was 98. It was the year, I think that's the year. Yeah, this year we lost to Ohio State and they got up quick on us. I mean, a couple block punts and, you know, maybe a, a turnover for a touchdown or something. So anyway, that, you know, back in those days, it, it was the opposite of the way it's going now. They, they never won. And, and um, so they smelled blood. They got up on us early and they just were blitzing the hell out of Tom and for four quarters and, and, uh, cause they knew we had to throw the ball to catch up. And yeah. I remember at one point he got in the huddle and there was just blood coming out of his mouth and cause he got hit so many times and he, it didn't phase him. Like I was like, Holy crap. You know, and the stigmata on him was like, you know, he's a, he's a surfer kid, California. He's got that kind of that surfer haircut and everybody thought he was, you know, nobody, but I guess the general thing was how tough could he be, you know? And yeah. Well, that answered a lot of questions there. We knew, we knew, like he somewhere, somewhere, there's a clip of me saying before he even started to be the Tom Brady that became the household name. I was like, this guy's gonna be like, 
this guy's a leader. He's going to be, he's going to be everything you ever wanted. And, and we knew that in college. Interesting. Interesting. And then you went on to the Seahawks and obviously thrived there uh, immediately almost in, in your NFL experience and, and uh, became a pro bowler and, and just, and you yourself became quite a leader. Um, and that was, that was one of the, one of the books on you is that you, you really, you really, uh, kind of were were great in that regard it, it would seem do you agree yeah I mean you know that's one of the things that being a captain at the kind of the school I went to you know you you know that's a you hear anybody that goes to a you know a, a, a you know long-standing tradition storied college football program is you, you know these kids you know you talk about hey I was a two-time captain and to a lot of people that doesn't mean anything but you know, you learn how to be a leader. You learn how to take on responsibility. You learn how to not make excuses. You learn how to, you know, um, you give a pep talk when you need to. Doesn't mean just being a leader doesn't mean you always have to run your mouth. And so kind of spending my last couple of years in college, well, my first couple of years watching the leaders and the captains of, of, in front of me, the class, you know, the, the classes in front of me, so how they do it and how the team responded to them and kind of, learned from them, then did it myself. And then by the time I got in the league, you know, early on I was quiet because I, I, uh, you know, as I, I, I just was, you know, I don't think anybody wants to hear a, a lot of crap out of a rookie's mouth. So I just kind of kept to my own and did my job and didn't want to be the reason that we, you know, let it, let the team down. But moving forward, as I got older, second, third, fourth year in the league, I took a little bit more of a leadership role. And mm-hmm. I think naturally it just kind of, that's just kind of where, where, um, you know, I feel comfortable being, being a leader. I was captain of every team I've ever been on and just kind of comes natural, you know, not to yeah. say I always made the right decisions or said the right thing, but I think guys looked up to me in, in um, various, you know, in all the locker rooms and asked questions and um, that kind of stuff. Just commanded respect for sure, and then you came here to Minnesota, which was uh, which was a big darn deal for the Vikings. I know um, yeah. we, we we hear so much about the poison pill when it comes to the grand scheme of your career. Are, do you get tired of talking about that and how all that went um, about? No, not really. I don't. I don't really yeah. think getting tired of it is talking about you know, getting. I don't think the right word is the right phrase is getting tired of it. I, I don't have a problem talking about it. It's just. Do I, do I love my time with Seattle? Yes. Do I love my time with Minnesota? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just from the Seattle, looking at it as a, as a ex Seattle player. Um, it's unfortunate that we couldn't get the deal done so that I could have potentially stayed there in my whole career because I, I have friends that played the entire career in one spot Yeah. or the majority of their vast majority of their career in one spot. And, you know, to see, you know, like Matt Burke, for example, you look at Matt, Matt Burke, Minnesota guy played everybody, you know, identifies him as a Viking. Mm-hmm. And uh, although he did go on for a couple of years to Baltimore and won a Super Bowl. Exactly. And he'd tell you, you know, his time in, in, a, in Baltimore was just as important, if not more event filled than his however, 11 years or whatever it was in, in Minnesota. But, you know, I kind of had my career split you know, 50-50, which was, you know, a, uh, you know, a long career, 12 years, a long career, but, you know, really wasn't, you know, I really don't identify with one team more than the other. It was literally almost 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, I guess if you look at it from, 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 is there a bad side to it? I don't know if I'll ever go in any kind of ring of honors. Cause I don't know. There's probably a, there's probably a, you know, a minimum requirement amount of years you got to play for a squad before you get in a ring of honor. But then at the same time, you know, if I didn't leave Seattle, I wouldn't have met all these guys and had, you know, 2009 wouldn't have happened. And that run we had with Favre and, and all that stuff, even though we didn't make it to the Super Bowl, it was still one of the most memorable years of my my career. So, you know, there's a there's an upside and a downside to, to everything. And, and uh, but I don't have any regrets. Um, yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the part of professional football that the fan certainly doesn't want to hear. But as players, you know, there is a business side to it and made a business decision, rolled on with it. And, and I think it worked out for the best for, for me anyway. Back with more with Steve Hutchinson in a GIF. But first, we got to take this time to chat with Sean Bernard, who is kind enough to be here with us today. Sean Bernard is, an, is a real estate agent for Edina Realty. Kind of a rock star real estate agent, aren't you? <laughs> I have fun, man. That's a, that's a reason why I'm glad that I did this partnership with you and sponsor your show is that we both have a similar mindset that we are going to have a good time. Well, we appreciate you, you know, being a friend of, of, of Perkett Pod and, and helping us out in so many ways. But if you would talk about your, your agency and and, uh, and what you're able to do as an agent. Well, yeah, you know, it, it really comes down to the homework, you know, doing your homework, doing the research. And I pride myself on that. I learned a long time ago that I'm a big nerd. This time of the year, what I'm really working on is people that are planning three to six to nine months from now. Uh, if people are interested, if it's you or somebody else you know that's interested in buying or selling, give me a call at 612-859-2594. That number is also text-worthy. And if you're listening to this podcast and you love music, I got a great podcast for you to listen to. It's The Brian Oak Show. Give that a listen anywhere you find your podcasts. Perk and You had a lot of great seasons here in Minnesota, and, and you did a lot of damage uh, in a good way uh, for, for Viking success. And you talk about that 2009 season. It really was. It almost seems surreal at times, you know, when, when Favre is throwing in the back of the end zone to Greg Lewis for the for touchdowns to win games. And, and just, yeah. just the way that, that, whole, that whole thing went down, it, it just seemed almost, uh, almost uh, like it was meant to be <laughs> in right. so many ways. It, 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 uh, it really was kind of a magical season wasn't it Steve right yeah I mean it was it was um you name it you you know you said it yourself that that throw to the back of the end zone to Greg and and winning that San Francisco game and literally as the clock expires and then you know I just I think I like you know playing Baltimore you know we played Baltimore at home and I think we were up like 34 to three on them at one point. And, you know, that's the storied Baltimore defense with Ray Lewis and, yeah. you know, and Ed Reed and, and you name it, everybody else. And uh, they had it at that time. And we just kind of went through them, uh, you know, they, and offensively. And so, you know, that just doesn't happen every day. And then you, you go to, uh, you know, we had a collapse on the road and, and, you know, maybe in, in Arizona, but um, just the, the, the wins. And then, and then of course, you know, the, the big game in, in, in New Orleans at the end of the season in the NFC championship and how many, you know, they say it's a game of inches and one play does this one play does that boy, that, that, that couldn't be more true about that game, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and, um, 
you know, there's a lot of woulda, shoulda, couldas and what ifs and sitting around a bar with a beer and boy, if we'd only made it past that game, what would we have done in the Super Bowl and all that jazz. But um, man, that was a year, you know, and, and, and like I said, I, I played in the Super Bowl in Seattle and that was a magical year too. It, it just seems like I think maybe the whole storied thing of Brett and his, you know, which, which ended up being his next to last year of a 20 year career. And, you know, it just the way that that whole story played out was pretty special. What was he like to, to his offensive line? He was great. I mean, he was the same. He, as soon as he walked in the, in the locker room, he brought instant energy. Like, I don't think anybody that didn't know him expected him to be as full of energy and engaging with the entire locker room as he was. Like, hmm. you know, you, you just kind of assume that, you know, household name Brett Favre, probably one of the most recognizable, you know, names to, to play in, in, in this last couple generations. Um, and he walks in the locker room and he acts like a 10-year-old. And he's smacking guys on the butt, practical <laughs> – practical jokester playing jokes all the time doing this and which was great because you know I mean we were at the point 2006 we were six and ten you know my you know children's first year my first year there in 2007 we were eight and eight making making strides 2000 uh 2008 we were 10 and six made the playoffs but lost so things were on the upswing but you know, it was three years of a row of not really making it to a goal. So, like, I don't want to say the team was down and didn't necessarily not believe we could keep the, the upward trajectory going. But, you know, when, when a player like Brett comes in and, and kind of shows that, hey, it's okay to be good but also have fun doing it, I mm. think that was a big turning point early, you know. And he, he missed most of training camp. I think he came in, like, week three of the preseason and, um, but like I said, it was kind of instant, you know, like, Hey, we're going to have fun and do this and we can, we can be good and have fun. And that was, that was key to that year. Yeah. From a media perspective, or just even from a sports fan perspective, it was just so, so fun to watch Vikings fan or not. It was just, it was yeah. just, it was such a March. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I got yeah. a chance to, you know, um, in 2005 in Seattle, you know, we opened that stadium up in 2002. Um, my first year we played at University of Washington Stadium after they had knocked down the Kingdome and constructed the new stadium. And, you know, you could tell there were there were times those first couple of years where it got loud. And you're like, wow, this place can get loud. But it wasn't really – it wasn't really sustained loud. Mm -hmm. And then in 05, we, you know, we kind of – about halfway through that season, we kind of – I think the crowd picked up on it. The city of Seattle picked up on it. And – course the team we were like hey we're pretty good you know yeah. we're first place we're, we're pretty good and I remember the Giants came in and played a, a nationally televised game we were both probably tops of our division probably right up there for the top top records in the NFC and you know I think that's the game they had like 13 false starts or something like that that crowd out there got so nuts and crazy that um for the first time we were like holy crap this could be like a thing like a home yeah. field advantage so it's fun to watch the crowd get into it over that year 2005 and then fast forward to 2009 the same similar thing happened now granted everybody had 
you know, the Metrodome was around for a while, right? And so you, everybody was around for 98. Everybody saw that magical run in 98 with the bikes. But it had been a while, right? I mean, that, you know, like I said, 2006, 2007, 2008, there wasn't much to cheer about. So my time in Minnesota, I didn't sense that huge skull Vikings home field advantage um, noise factor that everybody talked about. But then in 09, it, it happened, right? So, so it was kind of fun to see in two different places how that kind of got there and how it kind of helped us out. And, you know, you know, if, you know, we talked about the, the Saints game down there, the NFC Championship game, but the game before that, you know, Cowboys were on a roll. They were, they were flying high. They were one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and we absolutely dismantled them in the divisional yeah. round at home. And that was, that was just as much the crowd as it was us doing the right thing. I mean, that, that game was, you know, we, we just kind of completely took them out of it. And it, it's fun, you know, it's, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, I, I would imagine you look back on your career at, at awfully fondly, and and so many great memories in in a dozen years in in the in the pro ranks, and then you know, and then you you eventually had to had to hang it up like like a lot of offensive linemen uh, over time. The, that's a lot of wear and tear, isn't it? I mean, it's it's. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I'm one of the I got to walk away on my terms. You know, finished yeah. up a year in Tennessee here, had a blast here. Um, that one year, even though we didn't have a, you know, great success on the field, but, you know, met a lot of people, loved the town. Obviously we've, we've stayed in Nashville since. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's something to be said about being able to go out on your own terms, retire as opposed to getting cut and not really having anybody want you anymore. You know, yeah. I kind of said, you know, I've done what I, I think I had to do. I, 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 um, you know, missed the the chance to win a Super Bowl. Had a had an opportunity to play in one, and again, talked about how we probably should have played in another. But um, it is what it is. So uh, I felt pretty confident, and, and I was able to do everything I did. And at the same time, I I could still walk away while I could still right still, still walk right. right? And um, unfortunately, for a lot of guys, you know, they don't have that luxury. They they play until it's their too their body's too far gone, and now they're struggling to just do everyday things and and that's that's the reality of, of professional sports and especially professional football but um you know I, I lucked out I'm able to uh, for the most part of my health I've got a number of shoulder issues but I'd rather have that than knee issues right you know yeah. I can I can stay active with with good knees um the, the shoulders I'll, I'll deal with in another time your your call to the hall uh took a few years I would imagine that uh that when you finally got that um, can you walk us through that a little bit, Steve, and just how rewarding yeah. that was and, um, and, and, and having, having, you know, come close two years prior and then, yeah. and then, to, and then to, to get the knock as it were. Well, you know, it's, it's as an offensive lineman, especially a guard, um, let's be honest, you know, um, it, it's not the, it's not the easiest position to get in for, you know, I think there's, Jeez, I can't think off the top of my head. I want to say in, in the hall, there's only 45 guys, I think. 45 guards in the, in the hall. Interesting. Me, me my, I, might, I might have made 45, maybe. I, I could be off by a couple numbers, but it's something like that, low. And so, um, you know, you, you, 
you know, you find out in, in August, September that you made the ballot, the initial ballot with the uh, 110, 120 guys. And then, then November rolls around and you're like, wow, I made semifinalists. So that's pretty good. And I'm like, and that's 15, right? That's, that's 25 final, in November. Final 25. So, okay. so when you make, you go from 115 or 120 to 25. And in my first year, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty good. If I don't make it past that, then I mean, I made it that far, right? I mean, so so then 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 January around the wild card weekend, they they cut that to fifteen. And I made that, and then you can't help but go, wow, I got a about as good a shot as anybody getting in, you know. And so you kind of talk yourself into it. You're like, I, you know, I'm first time around. I'm, I made it to the final fifteen, and then you find out you don't make it, and for it's hard, even though if you don't have truly realistic expectations to make it in in the first time to make it that far you see how um how much of an honor it is just to get to that point and you kind of know even though you get so close and one in one sense the another sense is like wow this even though i made it all the way to the end where most people don't even make it to that final 10 or that final 15 it's still such a huge hurdle to climb like getting from 15 to five is huge, right? I mean, maybe not for a Peyton Manning that like this year, but for guys like, you know, and, you know, the offensive linemen and some of the defensive linemen that maybe don't have the, the sack records, but they, you know, guys that guys like myself respect, because I know how hard it was to block them, like the, the Bryant Youngs of the world or the, you know, Richard Seymour's who probably don't have the stats, but deserve to be there. And it's like, God, that's that's huge just to make it. So then you don't make it your first year, and you're you 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 know it's like man. Then then the first thing you think of is I got to wait a whole nother year, and I'm not guaranteed to make it this far. Right. So then you make it the second year, and you go through it again, and <laughs> now you have doubts in your mind because you didn't make it the first time, but here you are again, and they tell you all the stats. So if you make it as a finalist twice, you got an X percent making it in, and they you know they try to pump you up that way, and then you don't make it a second time. And then you start wondering, well, am I going to be one of these guys that make it as a finalist for 10 years, you know? And yeah. my thing is – Because there's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of those guys. There's too yes. many of those guys. And that's why I think they changed um, – they just – you know, that's why I think they did the centennial class last year with, with you know, the 15, you know, older guys. And, and then this year they, they changed categories on so they can start getting – because there's such a backlog of guys that deserve to be in. And it's so sad because most of these guys, you look at a guy like Mick Tinglehoff, you know, he waited so long to get in. And honestly, I'm not sure if Mick even knows he's in right now mentally, right? I mean, because of the, the health issues he has and, or too many guys, too many guys have their families accept that award for them. Yeah. They're no longer with us. And I just, you know, yeah, I complained about it, bitched and moaned about it, you know, internally to my, you know, everybody, you know, in my house between my four walls that I didn't make it those first two years. But in all honesty, I, I got voted in at 42 years old. I've got a middle school kid. I've got a junior in high school. I've got my whole life to enjoy this now. My kids get to see that in all the events and everything moving forward, you know, and it's not, 
you just feel bad for the, for some of those guys that don't have that opportunity and don't get to share that with their families and 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 you know they're getting it after the fact after they pass and and I just it's just I, I feel fortunate. Yeah, no doubt. It's 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 quite a brotherhood and it's 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 uh, football immortality is what it is. Yeah. And I, I've I've had the I've had the pleasure, the privilege, to cover a handful. Of, of inductions um, on the Vikings front. I think my first was Paul Krause. I did, uh, I got to go down there for Ron Yeri, yeah. which was a big darn deal. I got to go down there for Mick and, uh, and Randy Moss and Chris Carter for, for crying out loud. So yeah, there's, there's, I've been down there and I, I realized the scope of it. And when you see those guys get together, it, it, yeah, it is, it is actually a brotherhood. It's, 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 it's a fraternity of, of football royalty is what it is. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it's, funny, I, yeah. it's funny you say that because, you know, this year's weird. Let's take 2020 out of every n- normal conversation, right? Just because it is what it is. But even when I, when I got the knock and I knew I made it and you go through that whole Super Bowl weekend and you go through that, yeah, it's a sense of relief, but at the same time, you don't really know if it's real, right? I mean, you're you're on cloud nine. Like, you don't get a chance to absorb it all. You don't – like, I have to look at videos to even know that half that stuff happened, right? Like, because I wasn't even, like, in a – you know. And with COVID and, and not really doing all the normal events you would normally do leading up to the induction and having a normal induction in August – it's kind of a weird year where like, I know I'm in the hall of fame and I got voted in, but it's like, you know, it's like hurry up and wait and then nothing happened. Right. And so the first time actually just happened the other day, I got a phone call from Ron Mix. And and for those of you that, you know, don't know offensive line play, Ron Mix is hall of famer. You know, right. Yeah. 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 For, you know, First pick out of, out of USC, uh, offensive line, you know, played, you know, Patriots, Hall of Famer, played in the 70s, 80s, and uh, – or I'm sorry, got inducted in the late 70s. And uh, he called me and just said, hey, Ron Mix here, fellow Hall of Famer. And I was like – that was like the first thing. You know, he was calling me about something like a, a, a business opportunity or something, a friend of a friend connected yeah. us, but – for, for a Hall of Famer that I know is that, like, holy crap, Ron Mix. And for him to call me and go, hey, Ron Mix here, fellow Hall of Famer. I'm like, wow, that just hit me. Like, that's the brotherhood that, you know, I mean, how many guys are Ron Mix calling that day? And, you know, it's like, probably sounds weird. But, like, that was, like, the moment for me. I'm like, I even told my wife, I'm like, that's when it hit me. Yeah. It's you know, just I mean, a- you get phone calls from that, and you're like, you're in this club where these guys just pick up and call you randomly and check in, you know? It's just a who's who when you're down there in Canton and you just see all these people and you're just like, Oh my God, there's, well, it's just like, it, it yeah. is. And, and just, and just touring the actual hall too is, is pretty special, but, but enjoy those parties, enjoy the parades, enjoy the dinner, the banquet and all that stuff. It, uh, hopefully by the time next year rolls around with, with it, yeah. uh, it'll be. Yeah, if we're not, if we're not holding normal events by next August, we, we, this world's got bigger problems, right? Right, right. That's a that's a that's a doggone big deal. And and uh, f- for the record, just congratulations. That's just what an honor. I can't even imagine. They, you talk about like what you're up to these days. Now that you're just kind of wait, what what Steve Hutchinson up to now? Well, first of all, let's t- can we talk about can we talk about if you're a Hall of Famer, your wife might just be a 
uh, Hall of Famer, if there's ever such a thing when it comes to social influencing. Yeah. Can you talk about Landon Hutchinson and living with Landon and and how how big a deal that is? Yeah, so you know, um, yeah, she's you know, in a lot of a lot of uh, ways, my job was easy, right? I mean, the you just had to follow the lead of the guys that came before you, and and you know, hey, I want to be as good as this guy. I got to watch this guy and do what he does, right? I mean. For her, uh, my my wife, she's in kind of uncharted territory, uncharted water. She's kind of she's kind of her own icebreaker up in the up in the Arctic. She's making her own way and started in Minnesota. She she started with a Facebook page and you know friends and family would be like, hey, I saw you post that picture of that recipe or you decorated for your kid's birthday. Like, what did you do? And so she just kind of started putting tips on there and that you know then she kind of moved her platform to Instagram and started doing the same thing. And, you know, I never really artificially pumped up her followers or numbers and used my, my platform at the time to do it. I, she just kind of organically grew it and, you know, she, she rolled it into a business. So now she's got a, she's got a brick and mortar retail store here in Nashville. She's got an online presence. She's got a, a fully operational, you know, blog with, you know, tips and d- decor and home and uh, recipes and everything. And, got a, you know, a slew of girls working for her and um, yeah, she's doing great. She loves it. Like, I mean, it's funny to watch now the roles have reversed where I was doing something I love for a living and I couldn't believe they paid me for it. And she was home being a mom and a stay at home mom and raising a couple of kids. And now that the roles have flipped, I'm retired and she's doing it and she gets to do what she loves. And it's, it's awesome to see that. Like it's, it's not work for her because she, she literally loves it. And, you know, if, if, if any of your followers don't know what we're talking about, you know, she's, she's go follow her living with Landon uh, on Instagram and uh, L A N D Y N is how you, she spells her name. And, um, you know, she'll make you laugh anything else. She's got stories and tips and she'll figure out a way to, you know, come up with a quick recipe for a, a Wednesday night meal when this one's got soccer practice and this one's got a study and, and, um, you know, she does a good job. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, uh, for what it's worth, uh, her short rib ragu recipe is, uh, <laughs> is a favorite in this household. I think oh, we're good. having it next week. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. She does. She does. She comes up with some good stuff. You know, I always get on her. We're complete opposites. Uh, I'm the, I'm the anal, um, kind of, you know, um, little bit of the uh, obsessive compulsive when it comes to recipes and measuring and you know being on time and all that stuff and she's kind of the just kind of wing it person and I always you know I'm like it's not fair that her recipes come out so good when she doesn't even measure just kind of throws a little bit of this there throws a little bit of that kind of measures with her eyes and comes out great and it's it's funny um you know, but, but that's, that's her follower. It's the mom. Doesn't have, I don't have time to find a quarter cup measuring. I'm just throwing in some stuff, right? No, but I heard, but I heard you're sort of a beast on the grill. You, yeah. Well, that's, that's the one place I can kind of let loose from my, 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 uh, my ADD when it comes to uh, being a compulsive about controlling things. And, you know, you can, you know, you go in, you can control an oven, you put it on 350 and you know exactly for 20 minutes, this has got a roast and, and it's going to come out perfect. Well, on a, in a grill, when you try to when you try to set parameters around a living fire, it doesn't happen. So it's kind of fun to kind of have that, you know. And I, I've got too many grills to even. It's embarrassing to mention. Wait, wait, how many? How many? Wait, you have more than one grill, oh, multiple. 
I have a pizza oven that I had uh, was handmade in, in Napa, California that had shipped out here, wood burning real pizza oven. I've got a, I've got a Santa Maria uh, grill, like a, a South American Argentinian um, style uh, grill that's, that's uses, you know, it's cooked over a live fire. I've got a green egg. I've got a Traeger. I've got a built-in pellet smoker. I've got a, just the newest thing. We've got this, uh, like, a. I don't even know the style of it. it. It's, it's, I guess a Mongolian type grill where you build a fire in the middle. And it's got like a round donut, you know, <laughs> griddle around it where you can, it's more of a entertainment piece that you can kind of cook around and have friends over and everybody can cook their own thing on it. Like, I don't know. That's, that's what, that's what I'm doing in retirement is just setting things on fire and trying a bunch of recipes. It's keeps me occupied. Life is good in Nashville for Steve Hutchinson right now. That'll do it for this episode of Perkett Pod. We want to thank our partners, Audio Wiz, Justin Bailey, theme song by Taylor Robert. Keep listening weekly for another episode with Minnesota sports influencers and icons on Perkett Pod. Feel free to share this podcast. Give us a simple subscribe click. It doesn't cost you a thing. Heart us, rate us, double tap us, whatever you want. And until next time, remember, shine bright. Don't be afraid to be weird and open your hearts to inclusion. Peace. Perkett Pond, sometimes he's at play. Perkett Pond, find out what he'll say. Perkett Pond, who's coming on today? Woo!